and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Darren Thomason. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. The technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome Tone onto the show. So, Tone, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Well, Matt, uh, hi, Matt. Uh, thank you. Thank you for, uh, thanks for having me. The pleasure is, of course, all mine. So, for those who don't <laughs> know who you are, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've done until now? Um, yes, of course. Um, yeah, e- educational-wise, um, I studied about nine years in sports science and sports and movement exercise uh, science. Um, I started with vocational education and then moved on to my bachelor's and then the master in human movement sciences. Um, and afterwards, um, I started at the Dutch Olympic Committee. Uh, we're colleagues now there. So, um, and um, when I did my uh, bachelor degree, uh, Franz Bos was, was my uh, my teacher there, and he, he was le- lecturing in uh, mode control, motor learning, uh, functional anatomy, uh, neuro physiology um and uh, yeah actually i had one of the highest grades uh, of all students at that time so that's how we actually got in contact a little bit more and um yeah I, ever th- since we worked together um I, in, in, initially I, I took over a few uh, lectures of him and um yeah now we we developed some courses um so yeah and um that's uh, about where i'm at now so I've I've managed to yeah convince you somehow to to spend some time on your weekend uh, having a chat because I think your application of his theory is some of the best that, that I've seen at least. So um, what I'm really interested in is is getting a glimpse into into how you apply those kind of Franz Bosch systems. But firstly, um, why do you think it's important to look outside of traditional lifts or traditional strength and conditioning to improve sporting performance? Um. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Obviously, I can elaborate on that one quite a while, um, but uh, I try to keep it short. Um, like the traditional way, uh, the way how sport performance is approached is um, uh, on the uh, five mo- uh, basic motor properties. So breaking a sport performance down into subcomponents like strength, speed, uh, we all know them. And the idea is then that if you increase one of those subcomponents, it will automatically have a transfer to uh, the behavior of the whole system, uh, the, in this case, sport performance. Um, but it's getting more and more clear that that it doesn't uh, really work uh, that way. And, and the reason for that is that the human body is working as a complex system, um, and which means that all the subcomponents, they have very complex interaction with each other, and then uh, a, moving, a movement pattern is uh, emerging. Um, and the sports performance is not just uh, the sum of its parts. So it's not just increasing strength 
uh, in the gym and then expect uh, a higher throw velocity, uh, throwing velocity or high sprint uh, performance. Um, and the reason, as I mentioned, is that it's a complex uh, system. Um, so that means that other uh, factors are limiting performance uh, other than just strength. And um, that's why you have to look outside those traditional lifts. And I don't say that, uh, that strength is not important. Absolutely not. Um, but yeah, you need to look outside those traditional lifts because other things are limiting performance. And then you end, end up in the world of yeah, motor control, motor learning, uh, neurophysiology, uh, but also perception action. Um, and that, that relates more to uh, how the body functions in sport performance. I think that's, that's super interesting. We can touch on some of the, the practical applications later because I know you do use a lot of, of traditional lifts, but also some more specific exercises in, in your training. So before we get there, uh, what are then the alternatives to the traditional lifts? Um, yeah, if you look at uh, like courses or educational wise, uh, there's not a lot obviously on, on the market because if you look at the traditional courses, uh, it's all based on the, yeah, you could call it a reductionistic uh, way of uh, approaching the human body and sport performance. Um, so you really have to, um, yeah, dive into the literature on those different fields of science. Um, and if you really want to grasp sport performance and also uh, uh, transfer of training you really have to dive into those fields of science and um, yeah, obviously, obviously Franz Boss uh, has done a good job in combining all those areas and try to connect them with each other um, yeah he wrote a few books on that so if you really want to have some practical application or, uh, of the theory then yeah you end up uh, with his books and obviously he took a yeah, big leap in the practical application of it, but it's still really in the beginning of where I think in the future it, it should be or has to go. Um, yeah, so, uh, but also if you look at science, the, the, the big problem with science is that uh, they're all islands uh, where they all dive or zoom in to a, a very specific area. Um, but the thing uh, science is often lacking is uh, the combination or the connection between those fields. Um, so, um, but there are coming uh, more and more uh, research paper out that try to, um, yeah, try to emphasize the importance of uh, a dynamic system approach. Um, so yeah, you see that there is something occurring or something, uh, there's a bit of a transition going or they all emphasize there should be a, a, a paradigm shift, uh, but it's still really limited and the practical application is still, uh, yeah, very poor. So, Yeah. Um, I think France, France's books maybe is the best way to go. And then, uh, yeah, I try to make it my own. So not really cop copy, uh, copying what France is saying, but try to dive and dig into all those areas and, uh, yeah, try to make my own practical application of it. And uh, in terms of the, the key components then that you're going to work with, what are they when you're going to try and set out your training program? What, what are the key things which you're taking from this and then starting to apply? Yeah, first of all, it's like generally speaking, um, I would say you have to approach the human body as a dynamic system, a, a dynamic biological system, uh, and not as a reductionistic or mechanical uh, system. Um, and that means that there is uh, 
especially sport performance, high intensity movements, there is a, a big <coughs> dominance of decentralized control, um, which means that the, the brain is not the big command center that organizes everything, but also outside the brain, uh, a lot of things happen, and it's called decentralized control. Um, so, first of all, it's, you should approach it as a dynamic systems, uh, 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 a dynamic system, complex system, where uh, decentralized control is important, and then also taking into account um, for contextual movement, that's what we're talking about most of the times in sport performance, you also have to look at the constraints that are placed on the, sport, on the, on the movement patterns uh, by the environment, by the task, and also from the organism itself. So that's, I think, the key components of it. Um, and based on that, uh, yeah, you could, uh, it's, it's called the, the constraint-led approach. You can also start to make the next step to the practical application of it. So when you when you then start to break down these um, these kind of theories and then putting it into some kind of uh, training routine, um, how do you then? Uh, what are your, your headings as such? Because I know it's not necessarily like maybe it would be traditionally uh, speed and strength and that kind of stuff. What do you use as then the, the key components that you're looking to train? Yeah, so what what you can't do is um, just looking at subcomponents and try to improve them. And, and the subcomponents would then be, for instance, strength and speed. But what you can do, uh, one one uh, key factor of, of key point of the dynamic systems approach is that the emerging patterns that emerge from the relationship of the subcomponents that um, so there is an emerging pattern from the interaction that uh, that overall movement pattern that emerges uh, in turn constrains the subcomponents so what you can look at you can start as a starting point you can start at um, uh, the movement pattern and then reason backwards how this pattern is constraining those subcomponents. And that sounds maybe a bit um, abstract, but the thing is, if you understand how the, the total pattern is uh, organized, you can look at the constraints placed on the building blocks, and then you can reason backwards the smaller components, smaller components, and then you can start, for instance, at intramuscular coordination, then go to intermuscular co coordination, and then you move up to muscle chains and cooperating muscle chains and then you end up in the total movement patterns so that's 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 a bit of a, an overview um and that's that's a bit of my starting point analyze the sport the the, the, the outcome the movement pattern and then reason back to the building blocks this podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market developed by the team at Gymware. Flex is the only laser-based training system available, and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and it's super user-friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. So uh, in terms of making this nice and practical, I imagine there's a few people listening who are kind of like, all right, okay, um, that might make sense, but how do I then start to work out how to put in exercises? So if you're going to make a table with those things and, and later we'll fill it in with, for example, uh, exercise, whatever it might be, um, are those going to be your, your headings on the table? Um, 
Yeah, well, um, I could give an example. I work with uh, with overhead athletes with uh, volleyball and badminton at the moment. And um, let's let's take uh, a smash uh, movement pattern. Smash or uh, hitting or uh, throwing is all uh, one family of movements. So if you would take that one, uh, throwing. Let's let's take pitching, throwing a ball. Um, that's the total movement pattern, the emerging pattern, and that uh, constrains the subcomponent. So if you start at the biggest pattern and go one step, uh, and you go all the way back to uh, intramuscular coordination, then high uh, speeds of uh, throwing velocity can only be achieved when there is isometric cont- uh, contraction of muscles uh, around the shoulder. Um, so the throwing velocity isn't a concentric movement pattern around the shoulder, it's isometric contraction. So that would be the first building block, and you could call, call it an attractor, you could call it a, a category, and, and, and that's also one category I use for my training sessions. So the lowest level would be uh, isometric conditions in the muscles all around the shoulder. Because when all the muscles uh, um, are activated around the shoulder, um, at the same time, they pull the shoulder in, a, in approximately a 90 degrees position of the shoulder. And there it's, it's going to be stable. And then the second thing is that uh, when all those uh, muscles are contracted, the preflex mechanism can do its work. And what is the preflex mechanism? Uh, errors, errors that occur or perturbations that occur during uh, throwing action, for instance, uh, they have to be corrected. Well, if you look at uh, the traditional uh, way of looking at the shoulder, uh, they do a lot of uh, uh, proprioceptive exercises, cuff exercises. But the thing with proprioception is that there is a de- uh, delay. Um, muscle spindles have to be activated and there is a feedback loop going back to the muscles and then the perturbation is corrected. But the thing that the, the fastest uh, feedback loop is about 40, 45, maybe 60 milliseconds. Uh, which is way too slow for high-intensity movement. So what the body does is using feet-forward control, which means that all signals to the muscles are going to all the muscles around the shoulder. They co-contract uh, in isometric conditions, and they, um, they correct perturbations instantaneously without any uh, delay. So that would be the first category, isometric conditions with prefect, preflex mechanism. Um, then if you go one... Uh, um, step higher um, a bit, a bit uh, uh, up the chain uh, what is known is that the throwing velocity a substantial part of the, the energy that is produced in the throwing velocity is coming from isometric but also uh, elastic components so energy is stored in the elastic components around the shoulders and then uh, released into the throwing action um, so this uh, second category would then be isometric contraction, uh, contraction uh, isometric elastic contraction. Now, and if you then go up the chain uh, of building blocks even more, then you come um, in the kinetic chain. That would be then the third category. So energy that is produced around proximal areas of the body, big masses have to be transported to smaller masses. And so it has to be transported from the from the legs to the pelvis, trunk, shoulder, then elbow, and then the wrist. Um, and then, um, yeah, there's, there's a coordinative skill that has to be learned. Um, so that would be the third one. 
And then the, third, the fourth category I use in my, uh, in my uh, approach for, shoulder, for, for instance, shoulder care and arm care is deceleration. If the, arm is, if the athlete is not able to decelerate his arm properly, then the body will also restrict the amount of force going through the shoulder. Because otherwise, if, if you would throw very fast, but you can't decelerate your arm, you will uh, damage your arm the first throw, uh, first ball you're throwing. So uh, what is a good deceleration technique? Once the ball is releasing from your fingers, from the hand, uh, you need to have internal rotation of your arm, pronation of your lower arm, and uh, wrist flexion, and also your trunk has to rotate in the direction uh, uh, you're throwing. And in this case, in this sense, in this way, the energy is uh, dissipated over multiple joints, multiple areas of the body that can deal with it. Uh, if you would just uh, throw the ball and you just extend your arm rapidly and you wouldn't rotate it, you will, for instance, tear your labrum or UCL in the elbow uh, or your infraspinatus. Uh, so deceleration is also very important for throwing. So that's my fourth category. And then I uh, got two more categories, that which I don't use a lot, and that's the, the, the proprioceptive uh, proprioception. And uh, I don't say that it doesn't have any place in my programs, but my focus is on those four first categories because that's related to high-intensity movement. Uh, proprioceptive control is um, is a form of low intensity movement, as I just mentioned. It's just too slow for high intensity movement, so the transfer is also limited to high intensity movement. So it is a category, but I don't use it a lot. And then the last one is uh, mobility. That's a sixth category, and I don't see it a lot that there's uh, in overhead sports uh, athletes that there is a very limited uh, range of motion. But if there is a limited la range of motion, then obviously. Um, yeah, you have to increase it so there is a proper range of motion in which the arm can or the shoulder can can work. So, yeah, so that they, those are my f categories or attractors, depends how you want to call it, uh, on which I base my exercises. Um, yeah, structurally, uh, that's my structure. I think that's uh, that's super interesting, and it's really good to hear a, a different perspective on that. So, when you've got those um, those categories as such. How are you then going to progress the exercises? What kind of options do you have there? Because just loading, of course, isn't always going to get the outcome that you need. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, like um, if you look at the traditional lifts, it's mostly intensity or volume. And you're just adding weight and you, that's how you, uh, you increase your overload. But what's happening with skill acquisition, because that's what we're talking about. Um, for instance, in throwing, if you throw a light uh, ball, like a tennis ball, um, you can have uh, isometric elastic uh, muscle action around the shoulder. But the thing, if, if you want to progress it with weight and you increase the weight up to uh, one kilogram or more, then suddenly the body knows somehow that if I'm going to throw full speed with a two kilogram uh, heavy ball in my hand, I'm going to damage all the uh, tissues around the shoulders. What, ha what is happening there's a phase, transitions, uh, phase transition occurring, uh, which means that at a certain weight, the uh, throwing action is, uh, trans um, is changing in a pushing action. Uh, so you don't have the elastic recoil anymore, but you're going to push it. So it's concentric muscle action. And that's called in dynamic systems, it's a phase transition. So that's why you have to be really careful by just adding weight 
uh, to specific or skill acquisition. Same goes for sprinting. If you, if you sprint with heavy weights behind, uh, behind you, at a certain weight, you will stick to, to the ground too long and the isometric conditions will change into concentric muscle action. So for skill acquisition, yes, you can obviously use some heavier loads, but yeah, there's a, a limit to it. And probably that, that limit is very low with low weight. So you have to look for other things. Um, so you have to see how does the body transfer an exercise into the, 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 the goal movement. And then you, yeah, you, you come in the area of uh, the world of uh, motor learning. And what you're aiming for is a trigger for learning. The body should think, oh, this is not good. I don't know this. I have to, I have to adapt. Um, so um, one way to approach it, for instance, is uh, that if you let somebody or an athlete do an exercise and he is able to, let's say, you, you say do eight reps of this exercise and he's able to do it, eight times uh, in, in the right way, then you know that the body thinks, oh, I, I notice there's no reason for me to adapt. So what you're looking for is, for instance, um, yeah, that seven out of 10, seven out of 10, eight out of 10 reps uh, are going well, and then two uh, fail. And then that could be a trigger for the, uh, for, the, for the body to learn and to start adapting. Yeah, so there should be some kind of a mismatch from what the body is expecting to have expecting motor control and what is actually happening for the motor control and there is if there is a mismatch then there's a trigger for learning um yeah so how can you approach it for instance if you do um, an exercise and um, it's too easy you could uh, make it more complex yeah, so uh, having more uh, degrees of freedom that has to be controlled or do a double task for instance if you do a, a step up for instance Rather than one step up, you could do a step up in series, or you could do a step up with throwing a ball or catching a ball during the step up. And that's that's an, an example of making it a bit more uh, complex. But you could also, uh, and then you enter in the, the enter the the constraint led approach. You could also add perturbations to the system. Um, one of the things to do that is uh, using unstable weights. Yeah, for instance, Arcobex is, is a good uh, good tool to use, but you can also use dangling weights on uh, yeah, on uh, on elastic band, and you put them on the on the barbell. Um, so, adding more perturbations, adding more speed, make it more complex. That is a way to to uh, progress it. And when do you progress it? Uh, at the moment that an athlete can perform a set without any uh, failure. I think that's uh, absolutely fantastic, mate. So we've now got kind of this this table of of headings, your uh, your four important headings, and the two which maybe are less important. Um, and then down the side, you've probably got some some different options for progressions. Could you help us then fill in that table a little bit and and fill that in with some practical examples? Um, yeah, yeah, uh, that's possible. Um, let's start and at the uh, the first category I, I mentioned. That's uh, um, the isometric conditions in muscles with uh, the preflex mechanism. Um, so what you want to avoid is that there is enough time uh, for the for the central nervous systems to put feedback loops into place. So what you want um, you want you want feed forward control. An, ex an, an example of that is imagine that you're standing in a in, in a in a in a plank position, and then with your hands instead of your hands on the floor. On the ground, you put them in the TRX, for instance, 
Um, if you, um, um, for, you, you, you could uh, put your hands a bit up higher, but then suddenly you have to move your arms outwards and stabilize it in approximately 90 degrees position um, uh, abduction of the arms. And you don't do it slowly like, like a, a fly, fly movement, but you suddenly go outwards and you have to stabilize it suddenly in that position. So the body, and because of that instability, the body thinks, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And then it's putting a feet forward control into place. And then you have isometric uh, contractions and perturbations uh, that will be applied, for instance, through the TRX. They will be corrected by, um, by preflex control. So that would be an exercise for the first category. Another one could be, uh, imagine that you're standing upright, you have a dumbbell in your hand, and you just swing the dumbbell uh, from the side of your body and then suddenly you move it up and you have to stabilize it at once uh, again in 90 degrees position of your arm and the elbow uh, and if you do it really fast and you build it up obviously but you do it really fast and you have to stabilize it at, at, at once then the body also put feet forward uh, motor control in place um, as an example of uh, the second category the isometric elastic functioning of muscles that are all throwing actions. Uh, so imagine that you're standing close to a wall. You have to throw a light mat ball to the wall, uh, and um, you have to catch it and return it straight straight after. And an import, uh, important key factor in those exercises is that you have to see that the energy that, that goes in the system has to come out. If there's too much time between in between, then there's no good uh, recoil um, of the energy, so it should be fast. So all throwing actions, they suit in this, they, they fit in this uh, category. Um, yeah, another example of energy transport, yeah, that's, that's uh, probably a category many people know, is that all exercises where you use your whole body uh, um, to um, create energy, energy uh, and proximal parts of your body, and you have to transfer it to your hand. And so uh, moving your trunk first, pushing or throwing mat balls. Um, yeah, you can imagine a lot of exercise where you have to rotate your body and then your arm is following. Um, and then um, the fourth one, deceleration. Um, how I approach that one is that I always teach first, I start with the end position. So the end position is with your trunk rotate, ro rotated to the target pronation and end rotation in your arm and that's the the, the end position now from there we reason backwards backward chaining it's called um, you start doing exercises like throwing but you have to end up in that deceleration in that end position you just uh, taught an athlete so it could be throwing could be pushing uh, those kind of things um, and then build it up from the end position towards yeah different starting positions um, yeah, and as I mentioned, the other access, uh, the the other categories I don't use that much. So I think those four are the most yeah interesting. Absolutely fantastic. So that's that's given us some uh, yeah a, a brilliant look into your your training systems. Um, and before we leave, I want to ask you the most difficult question that we can imagine for anyone, <laughs> and that yeah. is, what is the one thing that you see or do differently, which the rest of the world can learn from? Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's good good one. Um, yeah, in my opinion, I think uh, there should be an upgrade of the whole um, 
yeah, field of strength conditioning, but also physiotherapy. Physiotherapy. Um, I think we should ha- uh, uh, approach the human body in sport performance and, and transfer of training uh, um, as a dynamic systems approach, uh, because that's that's just how the body works and functions in in reality in contextual movements. Um, yeah, and I would say we have to get rid of the simplistic mechanic way uh, of, a, of of approaching sport performance because it doesn't match uh, the actual mode control. And um, it doesn't mean because some, and sometimes uh, yeah, you get the uh, the arg- argument that yeah, but you cannot uh, go to an athlete and and explain all those difficult things, and that's all, the whole thing. That's also my my yeah USP. I would say um, simplicity has to come from complexity. Um, so yes, the 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 exercise we gave uh, we give to our athletes should be simple. We should not give too much uh, as least information to the athlete as possible. Um, but to create those exercises, it has to come from complexity because the the human body is really complex. So therefore, simplicity has to come from complexity. Oh, Tony, that's absolutely fantastic. So massive thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I liked it. Thank. Thank you. (laughs) Pleasure, buddy. (laughs) So that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Tyne for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you do at home too. If you haven't already, be sure to check out episode 7 of the Science of Sport podcast. That's with Franz Bosch. Obviously, he has loads of seminal ideas in the field of motor learning. So if you've enjoyed today's work, I'm sure you can get a great grounding in motor learning through that podcast as well. It's also one of our most popular podcasts. And if you have enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to check out our various topics around sports science and strength and conditioning in the Coach Academy. The Coach Academy has a mini lecture every single week, which is broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you are interested in taking your knowledge to the next level, be sure to check out our free seven-day trial in the show notes. So you can access all of our content there for seven days, completely for free. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes in just a few seconds' time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button too, as that helps us to bring you even better content every single month. And of course, the best possible podcast guests. So that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next time.